babe when it cries for its mother. Like a child, I was helpless all alone. Then I met the master. That is a good song. Isn't it a great message, huh? I hope you've met the Master. If you haven't, you need to. Amen? Well, let's take our Bibles again. Turn over to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Chapter 3. Again... We've noted that Timothy was the son of a Gentile father and a believing grandma. <clears throat> I probably ought to have a test on this and see how well you're doing on it. After as many times as we've talked about it, you'd think some of it would stick, amen? You're not getting it, are you? But anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, let me just share it then with you. But anyway, uh, we noted how influential the ministry of the Apostle Paul was in the life of Timothy. And again, Timothy was a young man, but... When it was all said and done, the apostle really uh, commissioned him to a pretty outstanding ministry, the church at Ephesus. Of course, there was a number of obstacles that he would face, and early on in the letter, we're made aware of some of those obstacles as the apostle Paul expresses his concern for doctrinal purity. We understand that Timothy 
was sent there to expose and to ultimately extinguish the heresy that was abounding in that place. And again, Paul would go on to charge him to stand amidst that the, the, the obstacles of faith, to even though he was young, to take his place and exercise his authority and proclaim the word of God and ultimately bring to light the false teachings and uh, of, of, of Judaism and the false teachings of, of just uh, humanism. <clears throat> and um, he would be called upon to steadfast and to be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And although he was a young man, he, he rose to the occasion. He was doing a good job, and God was blessing him. But still, in the midst of it all, there were those who, unfortunately, had put away or thrust away their faith. It wasn't just a matter of the fact that they had rejected uh, their faith, but they rejected the faith. And they said, you know, we don't believe what we said we believed. And I'll tell you what, that is basically heresy. <clears throat> and that's exactly what he was fighting. So again, <clears throat> although he was young... Timothy would go on to prove himself and accomplish his calling in Ephesus. And um, there was real battles that he faced, just like we face battles today. But God was good to him and met his needs. Along the way, we've been studying the book of 1 Timothy. And again, we noted, excuse me, I'm having problems with my voice for some reason. It's all, it's just, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is exactly, but we'll be all right. We'll get it going here in a minute. But um, we noted how to build an effective church. And uh, that's what we've been uh, dealing with. That's what we've been working on here. How to build an effective church. Well, we want effective churches and we want effective men and women of God. So uh, we're learning a lot as we move along in 1 Timothy. We noted a couple of things. We noted the, the practice of faith. We noted the place of women. We recognized the qualifications of the bishop or the pastor. We know the qualifications of the deacon. A number of those things. Our study now continues as we... Continue with uh, the last, the first part of this uh, series, which is again uh, <clears throat> an effective, effective church, and and um, we're going to look at the last two verses in this section, and we're just going to note those two verses and see how they apply. But um, it's going to be verses fourteen and fifteen tonight is what we're going to look at, chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. And so, if you're not there, turn there to First Timothy three fourteen and fifteen. And we're going to note how to become an effective Christian, yes, but we're really just going to finish it up now, that section. And then we're going to start on chapter 4, basically. And uh, so let's continue here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. You say, what in the world are we going to talk about in that little section? Well, we'll see, <clears throat> but we'll be all right. We'll have enough time to get us to the, the hour in which we need to close. Maybe we can even get out of here sooner than before. Okay, our clo- normal time is, of course, 9 o'clock. We'll get you out of here a little earlier than that. <clears throat> okay. I just tell myself that all the time, so if I get you out of here earlier than that, I feel very good. No, I'm teasing. I, I don't. So anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. We're going to close this out. Now, again, we'll wrap a few things up as we move along, but uh, I'm looking forward to um, the next section uh, when we start talking about being an effective Christian. I'm looking forward to that as well. So let's close this one out. Father, we come to you. We need you tonight. Father, help us just to, uh, Father, draw from the well again tonight. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and 
for just the many blessings you've bestowed upon us. And we thank you for this book of 1 Timothy. Lord, what a, a, just an amazing book it's been and how it's truly impacted my life as I've studied through it, as I've worked through it. Lord, I trust that tonight, once again, you would help us to, Father, glean from your word and ultimately grow. Father, what a waste of time it will be tonight if we just simply come and hear a man speak and walk out the door unchanged, just like we were. Father, may we truly listen for your voice. Hear that still, small voice. And then, Lord, to allow the word of God to be planted deep in our heart. And Father, may you bless us tonight as we seek to bring glory to you. Now fill me with your spirit and I be your be- uh, may you allow me to be your mouthpiece. And Father, I'll thank you and praise you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so we noted those verses. And the first thing we want to note in those verses is the investment. The investment. You'll notice in verse 14 through 15, the first part of 15, it says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thy... Excuse me. Uh, let me let me stop there a second. These things write I unto thee. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a ring, guys. And, and if that's just me, fine. It, just let me know right now. Can somebody poke their head up and tell me if that's me? It's just me, right? Okay, good. I just want to make sure because it's really causing me to think. And so... <clears throat> You know, I'm just really weird, guys, about stuff like that. Okay, so anyway, uh, these things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, it says in 1 Timothy. That's better already, brother. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15a there. Now, again, the investment, that's what we're looking at. The Apostle Paul, he concludes his first three chapters of this particular epistle by expressing his desire to visit the church and to visit Timothy. Uh, again, we know he had a special relationship with this young man. And obviously he had sent this young man to Ephesus to address some real issues in the church. And now the Apostle Paul is writing here at the end of this chapter, and he's saying, listen, he says, these things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Hoping to come unto thee shortly. He wanted to see Timothy. He wanted to, once again, visit the church. And again, his goal, his desire was to see him face to face there and to fellowship with him once again. Again, his protege, his uh, son in the faith. Now, <clears throat> I guess this uh, could possibly point to the fact that there was a really desperate situation in the church. The fact that the Apostle Paul had already sent Timothy and now he's saying, I, I really, I, I want to come unto thee shortly. I'd like to see these shortly. It could in, imply that there's something desperately wrong in the church, which we know there was some uh, apostasy. We recognize there was a rejection of faith. We know that there were some struggles and issues in the church that, you know, as a result of human beings trying to serve the Lord is a normal thing. And, and so it, it's possible that it, it, it indicates that there was a real need or desperate situation that existed in Ephesus at the time. Now, Timothy, we know, was dealing with the problems. We know he was facing it. We understand that. And, and the letter that was written, obviously, in 1 Timothy, I'm sure brought great comfort to him and, and counsel to him as well. But there's nothing like a personal visit. There's nothing like someone sitting down with you and talking to you face to face. Nothing like literally fellowshipping one with another. Now, let me just say this, and again, it's not in the notes, but can I just tell you something? Facebook is no substitute for a personal interaction this this right here this right here there's no substitute for that there's no texting there's no email there's no facebook there's no skype there's nothing that does that right there nothing 
And what, the, what, what Paul the Apostle was saying was, I can write this letter and I, I'm writing this letter because I want to assist you and I want to counsel you and I want to encourage you and I want to aid you and help you in this ministry. I know there's some issues that need to be addressed, but the fact is I want to come to you shortly. I want to fellowship with you face to face. I want to be in your presence and I want to encourage you one-on-one. Boy, is that a blessing. Paul was the kind of man who was moved by circumstance. He was moved by common sense. And more importantly, he was moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, now we have this this next statement that he makes, though. He says, but if I tarry long. But if I tarry long. The the idea here seems to be, he's saying to him, now listen, I really want to come to you soon. I want to be in your presence now. I'd like to be able to drop everything I'm doing and immediately head to your location. But don't necessarily expect me anytime soon. Just don't get too anxious to see me. I've written this letter to you. I've provided it for you. I'd love to come see you shortly. But if I tarry long, just don't get too anxious. Don't expect me anytime soon. Although that's what I really want. Because see, I got to believe there were some other pressing matters. You say, well... What in the world could be going on? Well, first of all, the winds of persecution were fierce in that day. And I mean, the battle was without question raging. I mean, Nero was on the warpath, and there were a number of churches, and there were a number of children of God who were being uh, persecuted, and there was problems galore. There was just all kind of needs. And this apostle who had been out and about throughout the regions of, of, of Asia Minor, winning people to Christ, beginning new ministries, pastoring a people that was in need. There were so many people that he needed to reach, so many pastors he needed to encourage, so many ministries that needed his encouragement. And he's saying, listen, now, I'm hoping to come to you shortly. But on the other hand, I may not be able to. If I tarry long. We see the investment he made. A letter. A desire to be in his presence, to fellowship with him face to face. There was a tremendous investment the Apostle Paul made into the life of Timothy, into the ministry at Ephesus. But note the intention, verse 15. Again, 15b this time. He says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Notice again, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest. So he's saying, these things write I unto thee, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. That's what he's really saying. So I wrote these things, I write these things, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now the word behave in this passage means lifestyle. It means lifestyle. In another particular passage in Corinthians, it's, it's, that same word is, is translated. It's not a mistranslation. It's not a matter of King James versus this or that. It has nothing to do with that. It's just as the, the King James uh, 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 translators wrote it down, they used the word conversation. See, when we, use the, we understand the word conversation in the Bible, it doesn't mean just our words. It means our actions, our lifestyle. And so it fits perfectly here. And again, that just helps to well-round this word that we're seeing here being used, behave. And it has to do with our behavior. It has to do with, as it says here, our lifestyle. So he's saying that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to live and act and be in the house of God. 
So the apostle, again, was very concerned for the church. He had personally led a number of members of those members to the Savior. He wanted nothing more than for them to succeed in their Christian life, to thrive in their walk and their relationship with the Lord. And in those first three chapters, he focuses on building an effective church. And you know, that effectiveness would be determined by how closely they followed the biblical pattern outlined in his letter. Let me ask you something. Is it frustrating to you when someone comes to you or you give someone some advice and they say, oh yeah, I got it. And then they just go off and do whatever they want. And they don't heed it. Does that ever bother you? You know, as a parent, you, your child, you, you say, listen, let me just give you some advice. You, you should be very careful about this and this. And then they just don't do what you ask them to. Or they off, go off and do whatever they want. Doesn't that bother you? Well, the Apostle Paul in the whole book of 1 Timothy, the first three chapters is talking about an effective church. And he sent Timothy there to alleviate the, the, the pressure, the problems that exist in the ministry. And in the first three chapters, he begins to outline some things that will make the church effective and says, this is how you need to operate. This is how you're going to need to function. This is how you're going to have to face these issues and deal with them. You know, the fact is, is that how effective the church is, is, is directly associated with how closely they obey. That, that's what's really going on here. Now, would they pay attention to the doctrine? Because that he approached, he dealt with doctrine in, in 1 Timothy already. How, you know, would they deal with apostasy? That was addressed in 1 Timothy. Would they make prayer a priority? We saw that in 1 Timothy already. Would they embrace the place of women in the church? It's expressed in 1 Timothy already. Would they enforce the qualifications of bishop and deacons? It's already been addressed in the 1 Timothy. And all those are areas and issues that he addresses in the book of 1 Timothy through the first three chapters along with some other things as well and says now, if you want an effective ministry, an effective church, then you have to apply these principles. You have to follow this pattern. The fact is, is that there would be little order in the church if they didn't do what, God, what the Apostle Paul was outlining. And Paul wrote these things realizing that he would not likely make it to Ephesus anytime soon. And he wanted to ensure that the church would be run decently and in order as God would have it to be. So his intention, of course, is that they would behave the way they should. That they would function the way they ought to. That they wouldn't just invite some novice to take over the pastorate. That they wouldn't just allow the women to stand up and begin to preach and proclaim the truth of God's word amongst the congregation. He made sure, he said, listen, there are some things you have to do and there's a certain way to do it that honors and glorifies God. And if you don't do it the way God said and the way I've outlined in the epistle under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then your church will be out of order and in disarray and you'll have an ineffective church instead of an effective one. And we wonder why our churches are messed up today. As we review the, the, the um, statement of faith in some churches, 
and we recognize that their doctrine is off according to the word of God, and we wonder why the church itself is express, experiencing difficulties. We see that the order of service and, and the, the order of authority and, and certain aspects of the ministry are not in order according to the word of God, and we wonder why things are upside down. And there's so many problems and so many, um, so many power struggles and so many issues. Maybe it's because we failed to behave ourselves as we ought in the house of God. And by the way, there's not one problem that doesn't arise in the house of God that isn't brought because someone does not behave themselves the way they ought to. Whether it's a pastor, whether it's a prisoner, or somebody in the pew, somebody is acting a fool. That's the bottom line. Otherwise, there's no problems in a church. And that's just a reality. And, and the Apostle Paul's saying, listen, you got some problems. And you want to know why you got some problems in that church? Because you need to learn to, to behave yourselves as you ought in the house of God. And um, so let me help you with that. And he wrote those, those first three chapters. He he outlined that. An effective church. Here it is. These are some aspects that you must apply. So that was his intention. I mean, he made an investment, and his intention was there to ensure that they behaved themselves because he wanted order in the church, and he wanted it to be a, an effective church. We note the importance now, verse 15. Verse 15. Again, a latter part of, uh, I would say, 15c. But notice what it says here. It says... But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of the, the God, um, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Now, again, notice again that we're to uphold, we're to behave ourselves as we ought to in the house of God. Why is that again? Okay, so it brings order. Yes, that's good. But what, what is the real reasoning here? What's, what's the importance of that? Well, remember, it's the church of what? The living God. We ought to behave ourselves as we ought in the house of God because it is the church of the living God. Amen. See, this is His church. And you can say, I don't like what the pastor's doing, and I don't like the direction he's going, and I don't appreciate what the youth director does, and I don't like what the staff is doing, and I don't think all these Sunday school teachers know what they're doing, and I don't agree with this, and I don't like this, and I hate that, and I don't. You can do that. You can do that. I hope nobody does. But remember who you're really criticizing. Remember whose church it is. It's not the pastor's church, and it's not the staff's church, and it's not a Sunday school teacher's church. It's not even just your church. It's his church. We've got to be careful how we treat this thing. We've got to always remember whose church it is. Now listen, last time I checked, if, uh, if I own a knife, and it's a wonderful, beautiful knife, I can do whatever I want with it if I own it. I can open it up. I can use it to cut things. I could open it up, and I could use it um, um, to uh, stab things. Now, not people. I know what you were thinking. I, I can, especially like, especially in the state he's mind he's in right now. But anyway, so I close the I close the knife and I use the back end. I use it as a hammer. 
You say, a nice knife? You'd be crazy. But it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. It's mine. And I know what's best for my knife, in a sense, from my perspective. I'll do what I want with it. We've got to be careful sometimes when we think we know better what to do with this church than God does. You've got to be careful. What that means is there's some instruments in here that he's in charge of, not you. Be careful. Always try to remember that this is the church of the living God. It's honestly his church. See, the church of the living God is the creation of the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, he calls us out of, of the world and, and, and calls us unto a, uh, unto a group, if you will, an assembly here. A living organism. This is not just an organization. It's an organism. It's the church of the living God. I mean, this church was so precious to God that he purchased it with his own blood. Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, my wife and I, we talk about a lot of things. And one of the things my wife said the other day to me, she said, you know, we never talk much about the blood of Christ anymore. You know, she's, I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. So I thought I'd just throw it in here. <laughs> I'm teasing. But anyway, it's true. I mean, he purchased us with his own blood. Isn't that amazing? It's a wonderful thing. And, and, and how irresponsible and, and how, even, how dangerous is it then to attack or tear down the church? I mean, this is his. That's good now. That's right. Amen. I mean, I know God is gracious and I know he's long suffering. And boy, I thank God he is. But. It would be wise to love and support what he loves and supports. How many have opposed the church through the years only to realize too late that they were foolish for doing so? I I mean, there are people that would tell you today, do not, do not, do not oppose the church house or the authority God's placed in it. You be careful. They've learned, unfortunately, very difficult lessons. And... So we see, first of all, it's the church of the living God. That's the importance of this behaving ourselves properly. It's, it's his church. be crazy to act a fool in his place. Um, you know, you want to go to your house and go crazy? Run around naked if you want. But you come to my house and run around naked, I'm calling the cops and you're going to jail. You don't act crazy in my house. And you know what? This is his house. Why do we act crazy? Why would we ever do that? It's the church of the living God. Not only that, but the importance, not only is it the church of the living God, but notice it's the pillar and ground of the truth. I really like this one. This one's good. Um, The word translated pillar is a word that refers to a column, a column which is designed to support a building. And you've seen columns before, obviously pillar, you know, those big things. We're going to put some pillars on the stage, Lord willing, at the carousel, the old carousel building. We call it our new church building. And by the way, let me tell you something. Can I tell you what, uh, what, what a pastor told me one time years ago? And this was a, a really a great preacher, um, ran thousands in his ministry. He said, you do know that will always be the carousel. He said, you do know that. And I said, Absolutely. I have no problem with that at all. He said, I'm just letting you know that when people in your community think of that building, they'll think of that old carousel. So don't be afraid to say we're in the old carousel building. Yeah. That's, not, that's not being disloyal to God. That's not saying anything wrong. It's not, you listen, when I'm out door knocking, I promise you this, 
We're meeting in the old carousel building. I will say that at every single door I go to. Because I want them to know right, they'll know right where we're at now. Not one person will go, where are you located? I won't have to go, where, are you, where am I located? Are you crazy? How old are you? Oh, well, I just moved in the area. Oh, I get it. <laughs> okay, now I know why you don't know where that's at. So there's nothing wrong with that, but he did. He said, listen, you do realize when you buy a building that was something else before. It, it, w- let's just use this as an example. And again, I don't want to give free publicity to anybody, but faith family. What, what, where do they meet? The oh, the old Hoover building. Isn't that funny? That's the first thing you thought. See, that's just how it is. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just how it is. I just want to get you ready, okay? So people will be saying to you, oh, so you guys meet in the carousel? No, that's Community Baptist Temple for you, please. (laughs) You don't have to get upset about it. It'll be okay. But either way, it's going to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's what we know it's going to be. And um, again, that word pillar, it's a word that refers to a column. It's designed to obviously support a building. And ground, the word ground, pillar and ground, is, is from a word that actually refers to a, a support or a bulwark. And what that means, let me give an example of it. In, in a, some medieval churches years ago, and some that are still around, maybe like in Europe and so forth, there's a real wide expanse in the roof up there, and they'll, they'll have these, these flying buttresses, and they hold up that weight of that ceiling, that roof. Okay, that, that's, in a sense, that's what the word's representing, that, that bulwark, that, um, and that word ground means that. Okay, so it's, again, a support. And the picture, then, is, is that the church of the living God is intended, it, it's what the church of the living God is intended to do um, for the truth. That it's a, the pillar and ground of truth. So the church itself is supported, upheld by the church. The church upholds the truth. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. So if we fail to uphold the truth, who will? Who will? And we know that truth is constantly under attack in the world. Satan has so many weapons aimed at derailing and destroying the truth, doesn't he? I mean, we, we like to talk about it sometimes. We say things like, oh yeah, the public school system's horrible. They teach evolution and they teach humanism and they teach secularism and they teach... And we go crazy, you know, and we hate that. And that's the devil aiming lies at our culture and our society for the express purpose of what? Destroying what? Truth. And if we're not careful, we will bring that philosophy, that ideology, that mentality into the church. Yeah, we will. That's right. And then we'll sit there and say, well, you know, we're a church and we're doing things God's way. But in reality, we're just doing exactly what the world does, but probably just not quite as bad. But real, realize that the church is to uphold truth, not to encourage lies, deception, and deceit. No. It's the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's why we have to behave ourselves as we ought in this place. Because all along, the goal is to uphold truth here. 
It's to ensure that the truth of God and His Word aren't lost in the generation and the world in which we live. It ought to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light to a world that's lost. Satan has a number of tricks up his sleeve. And one of the reasons that he left the church here is that once again to, to withstand Satan and his lies. And amid all the attacks, the church stands again as a bulwark. It stands as a buttress of truth. And again, it stands as a guardian of the truth that's contained in those 39 books of the Old Testament, in those 27 books of the New Testament. Well, we've got to be careful not to let down the truth. Got to hold it up. So the impact. What's the impact of all this? Again, we're to uphold truth. So we see, in, again, in the, in the passage, we see in chapter 3, verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to have behaved thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I mean, we have an, it's going to make a difference. It's going to impact our culture. It's going to impact our society. It's going to impact our homes, our families. And more than that, it'll make a difference in our churches. Again, that's why it's so important that the church maintains scriptural standards of conduct in both doctrine and in practice. Because this is God's church. And because this is God's church, we have no right to insert our personal preferences or introduce our own agenda or implement our own standards. We are obligated to embrace, to endorse, and to engage in His plan, His purpose, and His practices and precepts. We, are in, we, we have to do that. Because this isn't ours to do with as we please. It's to do as He decides. Someone says, I don't like the fact that women can't be preachers. The thing is, you don't have to be mad at me because that's not my decision. That's not my decision. You don't have to be mad at Community Baptist Temple. You don't have to say, well, those people believe that women can't be preachers. And I don't like that. They're bad people. No, you don't need to be mad at us. You don't need to label us bad. We're just saying we're the ground and the pillar of truth. All we're doing is upholding the truth. We're upholding the Word of God. We're just doing what God says. This is His church. It ain't mine. I don't have a right to change it. Would I like to change it to help make you feel better? Oh, maybe. Are there some women that probably could do better than a lot of guys? Sure. But that isn't my decision to make. That was God's decision to make. He already made it. I can't fight Him. I'm just upholding truth. People make it personal all the time with us. It's not personal. It's God's Word. Take it up with Him. It's His fault. And that is honestly the truth. Blame it on Him. I don't like your standards. Blame Him. I have to maintain the standard he tells me to in the church. He says we have to maintain purity. We have to maintain separation. We've got to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. We can't touch the unclean thing. He says that. That's what he wants for his church. That's what he wants for his people. And it's his. So he can do whatever he wants with it. The effectiveness of the church hinges on our willingness to behave as we ought to in the church. God help us to uphold His high standard of conduct. 
May we not excuse our sin and rebellion by calling it contemporary or progressive. Did you get that one? It went right over a lot of people's heads, I'm sure. I said, may we not excuse our sin and rebellion by calling it contemporary and progr- or progressive. Well, of course you have to allow gays to be in the ministry. You have to. It's the, it's the way things are going. You have, to allow, you have to open up your arms to gays and allow them to marry and be just like heterosexual. You have to. Well, the only problem with that is he tells us we're not allowed. It's not a matter of, well, our pastor just doesn't agree with that position. Our pastor's not, he's kind of an old fuddy-duddy. He's stuck way back in the 1950s. He's he's one of them real traditional kinds of Baptists. He's not one of those contemporary Baptists. He's not one of those progressive Baptists. He's not, no, he's just one of those Bible-believing ones. That just believes that God's, God created, this is his church. And I don't have a right to change his standards and his code of conduct and you get it? Now, this is the problem. And again, I'm going to close this out. Um, but you've seen this illustration a number of times. The impact is all kind of wrapped up. I mean, as the world, we, we talk about this, as the world moves farther and farther from God's standard of conduct, the truth is, is that it, it should be more clear than ever how different man's ways are than God's. I mean, it should be more and more. Now, the distinction that exists between God's people and the world is only becoming greater as the world moves even further from biblical correctness to embrace political correctness. Now, now, we know that God's calling is to holiness. His calling is to distinction and purity. And that hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. And as the world becomes more and more evil and combative toward God, your life and my life will be even more unusual and different compared to those around us than ever. See, I'm going to make a statement. I I wrote this, and I think it's so good, I'm going to repeat it right now. I I can't believe it. Every once in a while, I'll write something and go, wow, did I write that? That's actually good for a change. Our goal cannot be to remain separated from the world, but to be distinctly Christ's. Did you hear what I just said? I, don't, I didn't read that anywhere. Now, if it's written somewhere, don't tell me because I'm really glorying in this. <laughs> our goal cannot be to remain separated from the world. That can't be our goal. It has to be to be distinctly Christ. Now, let, let me... And, and we're going we're gonna to do this. And you've done it a million times. You'll go, oh, I've seen this illustration a million times. But you know what? We preach separation from the world. And you want to know something? We're not preaching the Bible. I mean, in one sense we are, but it's misunderstood, if you know what I'm saying. You don't probably, so I'm going to illustrate. So, Brother Jake, why don't you come up here and give me a hand. I know you're writing a bunch of notes because you just can't believe that amazing statement. Right there in front, Roger. We've often said this before, right? We've showed this a million times. Right there, that's, right now that's the world, right? And, of course, this is Christianity. And let's see, move from left to right. Let's see, left to right. So... The world is going the wrong direction, and they're going, go ahead. The world moves, okay, stop. And what's the church been doing? And you know what we've, made? we've, made, made, we've maintained? Separation. 
We're separated. We started over here, though. We start right here. Well, let's, let's start it right here, because this will make it even better, right? Okay, there. Go ahead, world. Right there. Stop. Let's start from here. This is our starting place, right? Go. Stop. Okay. Now, I've still maintained separation, but I've moved away from what? The standard. So then the world moves again. Stop. And look where the church ends up. But the problem is, notice the growing gulf between where the church is and what God's standard for the church is. How should we behave ourselves? How ought we to behave ourselves in the church? It's back there. We've moved. Oh, we still maintain separation. This is my goal. I'm separated from the world. I'm a separated Christian. I won't touch the unclean thing. We're, we're not touching it. We're in it. We're in it. But because we're not doing exactly what the world does, we somehow believe that we're good to go. We're separated. And you know what? We are separated. That's why I said biblically separation isn't always, that's not the goal. Being separated from the world is not the goal. Come on back, world. Okay, stop. He looks a lot like the world. So anyway, go ahead and move to the left, world. Stop. What are we to be? Distinctly Christ. Yes. Now, wait a second. You know what just happened, though? I look more like an idiot for the Lord now, a fool for Christ, than I've ever looked. Oh, go ahead and move again, world. Stop. Man, they just, allowed, they just said that it's okay to be gay and married, and it's okay to teach evolution in schools. They're telling us that it's not, you have to believe in evolutionary, uh, you know, evolutionary um, um, my mind just went blank, but uh, theistic evolution now. God's kicked it all off, and then evolution took over, and all of that stuff. Man, they're way over there. Oh, man, their, their dress standards have fallen. Their, their spirit has fallen. Their, their, uh, um, their, 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 their uh, morality has fallen even more than ever. Guess where I'm? I'm still distinctly Christian. And you want to know that, what that makes me? More of a target than ever. By the way, by the way, let's, let's go ahead and fix this. Come on up here, young man. Would you help me out today? Come on up. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. You want to know that, what that makes him in school? You want to know what that makes him in school? Looks more and more different than ever now. You know that he's not allowed to miss church? Do you know that he's not allowed to dress like the rest of the kids? You know he's not allowed to go mix bathing and swim with all the boys and girls naked? Do you know that he's not allowed to act like some of them act and do what some of them do and go where some of them go? He's not even going to be involved in this prom. He's not even going to go to a school dance. He's not going to do those things. You want to know why? He's distinctly Christ. Oh, he could have moved with the world. And you know what he'd be going to now? He'd be going to a senior prom. Because Christians go there all the time, preacher. You've got to get with the program. We're still separated. We're not going to drink. And we're not going to smoke and do dope like they did. And maybe we'll even stay morally pure. But the fact is, we want to go to that because we want to be like the world. Okay. Thank you, young man. You're distinctively Christ. Thank you, world. I don't like you. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to Timothy as we close out this aspect on the effective church. We must behave ourselves 
the way God intended us to in the house of God, or we'll never be an effective church. We'll never accomplish what God's truly called us to do. And the fact is, is that the real goal of every church is what every goal of every human being really ought to be. Not only to bring glory to God. You can't bring glory to God, though, unless you're fulfilling the purpose of the church, and that is to reach the world with the gospel. Everything we do, everything we give, every purpose we have in life is motivated and moved, as we said Sunday, by the love of God. That love in us. And that love ought to move us in every aspect because we're concerned where the world is going to spend an eternity just like God was concerned. We live our lives like he lived his life, sacrificially for all because of his great love in our life. And so we behave ourselves in a certain way. Why? Because we know that that's what will honor and glorify God and that's what will ultimately impact the world in which we live. And that's why we must be distinctively Christ. We can't just be separated. And we have to be effective. Father, we come to you. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you mean to us and all you do for us. Lord, we're just a needy people tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and help us.